This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Avram ben Chaim Yehuda and to Leilunishmat Yechaskel ben Avraham. I don't know why this just came into my head, but I'm going to speak about it. I had no intention of speaking about it at all. But for some reason, it just literally, as I was thinking, and that's what those delay was when I was trying to, uh, the, the names that we say, by the way, is for my grandfather and my uncle. Um, and as I was saying their names, I, this thought popped into my head. And um, for reasons that it's actually very interesting, reasons that I'll, we will soon speak about, I will, uh, you, you'll realize why I am going to uh, say what I'm about to say. So, and, and the, the thought that popped into my head was daily giving. I usually, every once in a while, I get uh, from one of the founders, Jonathan, Dr. Jonathan Donath, uh, he, he was one of the founders of Daily Giving, usually sends me a message and say, you know, just to like, you know, catch up, see how everything is doing. And he hasn't sent me a message. This is nothing that was, that was asking me for Daily Giving, but it's something that uh, I was thinking about maybe a month or two ago, and it literally just popped into my head. And that is as follows, that... There are so, my question was is that there are so many speakers that speak about daily giving. And wh- whoever doesn't know anything about daily giving, it's a website that's called www.dailygiving.org. And it's an amazing, fascinating, unbelievable type of website that it's kind of a website that it's like, I wish I would have done this type of website, you know, like Torah Anytime. You know, you're like, I wish I would have done that. So daily giving also is that type of website where like, oh, that's so simple. So, so, so basic, but yet so f- Amazing, and that is it's a website. Whoever is not familiar with that, you would uh, you you go and you give them a dollar a day, and they collect all these. Uh, you know, you had they have now over four thousand and something. You know, people that are you know donating to them for for a dollar a day. So mean, meaning that they have now four and a half, let's say thousand dollars. So now every single day. They're going and they're giving a certain amount of money to a certain organization. They have about 40 organizations, and you can look it up. It's a very transparent, transparent organization. Everything is on there. They don't take anything for themselves, and every single uh, dollar that you give goes directly to a tzedakah. So every single day you have the ability to give charity to another organization, organization that you have never heard of, organization that even if you would have heard of, you would have never actually given. So it's such an amazing, and by the way, Torah Anytime is one of those organizations. You have organizations like A-Time that help infertility, uh, organizations that help poverty. Uh, There's so many wonderful things that you would have never been able to be a part of, and now here you have the ability to, uh, to be a part of it. Now, this is something that I spoke before, but one thing that I wanted is I've been listening to, let's say, other shiurim from other speakers, other, even from, from podcasts, and everybody's speaking about it. Like literally everybody is talking about dailygiving.org. It's not something that is just a, you know, a one-time uh, uh, you know, uh, speaker that spoke about it. All the big speakers are talking about dailygiving.org. And now, while what was odd to me was if everybody's speaking about it, and there are so many people that are hearing about it, how come there are not more people that signed up to Daily Giving? And in fact, as we speak, I am actually going on Daily Giving's website, and right now they have 47 $4,708. So $4,708 are giving every single day. Meaning that you had a least of, you have here roughly around 4,700 people signing up every single day to give a dollar a day. 
But my question is, is that there are at minimum, minimum tens of thousands of people that have heard this. And I could say that for a guarantee based on the numbers that I know of people that watch my class. I'm from Torah Anytime and from the podcast and from the, uh, from YouTube, from all different platforms. I know the, the, you know, and besides that, you have podcasts that are going out there. Other very popular speakers, you have Rabbi Zachariah Wallace, you have uh, Rabbi, you know, Charlie O'Reilly, and the list just goes on and on and on. The question is, there might have been a hundred thousand people that heard about that. So what happened that there's only four percent that actually took it upon themselves? Like, why aren't more people going and jumping and signing onto it? And I'm not sure. I'm not sure the answer. But one thing I know is that when I was speaking to Dr. Jonathan Donath, the, the founder, he was telling me that people need to be constantly reminded. Because many times people will be like, you know what, that's a good idea. I should really do that. And then, like, they forget about it. Uh, whatever it is, you know how we short attention span, we tend to not, like, try to follow so long in our own, uh, you know, mind processes and our thoughts. And we forget. So this is a reminder for everybody. And it's something that I, I, I don't understand. When something is so good, you want to jump on it. If someone tells you that there is, uh, you know, Amazon is offering 75% off on everything on their website, you don't have to tell that person, oh, okay, remind me again tomorrow, please. Like, no, you're already going to gemachs to borrow money because you're buying things for your great-grandchildren that you are not even married yet, but you know that you may have it, right? Because when it's such a good deal, you make sure that you don't forget about it. You make sure that you remember it. Now, the part that I don't understand is that this is such a great deal. Like, where else on planet Earth can you go and you just give somebody a, a charity? And 100% of that is going to different places every single day, meaning that you could touch so many people. You could affect your charity. could have so, such a power that I don't understand why everybody's not jumping on it. Now, I know finances might be difficult for some people. But for whoever is able to, it's a dollar a day. You, you sign up for like, this is less than you pay for your phone, most likely. Less than you pay for your internet bill. Less than you pay. You're doing something so amazing. And it's, it's like mind-boggling of, of like, jump onto it. So if you're listening to this class or you're here live and you didn't do it yet, go to dailygiving.org and sign up. I guarantee you, you will not regret it. You will see so much blessing in your life from all this amazing schuyot and merits that you get from it. Okay, that's just something that just popped into my mind. All right, so anyways, now we can begin the topic at hand. And very soon you'll see why it's actually so related to this. It's so unbelievable how God works. Ugh, don't you just love God? Like, don't you just like sometimes go and be like... Hashem, I love you. You know, like it's so unbelievable how the world works and how you're, how, how, just like everything, just like everything is awesome. Everything is amazing. All right. I'm sorry if you're in a depressed mood right now, but like just everything is awesome. Okay. Let's lead with that. So, okay. I'm glad we have people that are agreeing with me. (laughs) Thank you. So, okay. So now the uh, jumping onto the topic at hand and that is that when you're dealing with things in this world, for matters in this world, for the, the physical, the gashmios of this world, your, your body, your home, your livelihood, everything that we know, this is already pre-decreed by Hashem. Everything is already pre-decreed by the Creator. And no man has a power or authority or ability to go and either remove something that you, were, that you needed to get or give you something that you weren't intended on getting. Meaning that no one has any power on these manners on this physical world. So, which would equate to an understanding that there will be no need 
to fear other people. There's nothing that you can gain from fearing other people because nobody can benefit you or harm you other than was decreed from you from Hashem. So, just like we have all aspects of the physical world, meaning that life and death, health and sickness, parnasah, livelihood, children, clothing, bodily needs, health, everything, these are all in the hands of God. And this we know that we... While it's in the hands of God, we still have this hishtadlus, this, this effort that we need to do. And how do we do these efforts? We have to engage in means of hishtadlut and efforts that appear to be beneficial to Him. Meaning that you have to choose at this, whatever particular time in your life and whatever it is that you're doing, the best choice under the circumstances. You know, you know how they say like, hindsight is twenty twenty. Oh, if I knew this, then I could have done X, Y, and Z. The, when you're dealing with, with things in your life, you're doing it with your best understanding that you have right now, which is a different class in its entirety on like regret and like, oh, had I known this, I would have done this. And that's not something that I intend on getting into on today. But the aspect, the simple aspect of effort is that you're doing the best of your ability, of what appears to be beneficial at this point in time in your life. Now, even though we have the, the concept that everything is, is determined by Hashem and everything is already decreed by God, we are still doing our, our effort, again, like we said, to the best of our ability, but it means that we're doing something. Meaning that you can't sit back and say, you know what, if I'm supposed to live, I'll live. What do I need to eat? Why do I need to sleep? Why do I need to do all these bodily needs? If God wants me to live, I'll live. No, obviously we know we have to do our efforts. We have to do our efforts. And once we do our effort, after that, then we know everything is in Hashem's hand. How much money you'll make, who you will marry, where you will live, um, you know, what type of job you'll get. All these different aspects are all in God's side. Also, it's on the flip side. All the negative aspects, meaning that all the... Uh, money that someone will unfortunately lose, uh, the health that they will unfortunately get, the problems in their marriage, the problems with their children, the problems with their health, the problems with the wealth, all these different, uh, all these different, uh, you know, aspects is something that is also in Hashem's hand. Now, we know that's in the physical world. The topic at hand is what about the spiritual world? Meaning, can I have emuna? Can I have bitachan? Can I have faith in God saying that, you know what? If God, if I don't do this mitzvah, then it's from God. Or if God wants me to do this mitzvah, then He'll let it come my way. If God wants me to give charity to dailygiving.org, then dailygiving.org will knock on my door and be like, hi, we're dailygiving.org. Can you please put your credit card in here? Uh, you know, like, maybe that's what we got. Maybe God just wants us to sit back and by the way, if you're waiting to sit back, so here it is. Uh, dailygiving.org is right here. They're saying, here's your credit card. Just go to www.dailygiving.org. Uh, by the way, I don't get any <laughs> kickback from these types of things. Well, spiritually I do, so I can't say that. Um, so now, when we're going and we're dealing with emuna bitachon, in the spiritual sense. By the way, this is an interesting aspect. I've never, ever gotten a question on this. I've always gotten questions on how much effort do I need to do? How much ishtadlut do I need to do? What does it mean the difference between Amun and Never did someone ask me, how much effort do I have to do in my spiritual endeavors? How much effort do I have to do in my prayers? In my mitzvot? In my learning? In my everything that's in, in, in respect to, to spirituality? How much effort do we need to do? Now we know we spoke in the past few classes about how much effort a person needs to do in the physical aspects. But what about in the spiritual aspects? Is it possible that maybe we could say in the spiritual realm, we sit back or 
Even better yet, maybe in the spiritual aspect, all we have to do is a minimal hishtadlut. Be like, you know what, listen, I will try to do something. And if it works, I'll do it fine. If not, then, then also fine. Or maybe we have to do more or less hishtadlut. And that is the purpose of this class, to try to figure out what is the amount of effort that we need to do in the spiritual realm of uh, Torah, mitzvot, masim tovim. So the Gemara in Tamid tells us that Ezehu Chacham, who is considered a wise person, it doesn't mean that you have a high IQ. It doesn't mean that you're, you know, read a lot of books. It doesn't mean that you can memorize things. It doesn't say that who is a wise person? Someone who has photographic memory. No. The Gemara tells us, Ezu Chacham, who is considered a wise man, a wise person? Somebody who could foresee what will happen. Explains Rabbi Victor Miller that sometimes you say something and the minute that the, the words leave your mouth, like even as it's leaving, you could like, in slow motion, see the words coming out, and in your mind you're going, what am I doing? No! And you're running in slow motion towards explosion, basically. And you're like, I can't believe I am saying this. And then you say it, and then you're like, I can't believe I just said that. And we feel terrible on what we just said. And we're very sorry that we weren't prepared for it. We didn't think for a second before we spoke, and then we spoke. We actually just said something. But says Rabbi Victor Miller, Imagine if you try to think five minutes ahead. It's not, by the way, it's not an easy, it's not an easy thing to think before you speak. Trust me, I know, I speak a lot. It's not easy to think before you speak. But imagine what it is to think before you speak five minutes in advance. It's very difficult. But forget about speaking. Imagine just thinking before you, what's going to be in the next few hours. Thinking in advance, if you're able to think in the next few hours, then you're considered, wow, okay, you're an accomplished person. You're able to really be in control of your emotions, your, 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 uh, your actions, your spiritual, your, just like everything, if you're able to think that much into the future. But you know what? Something is even better is that if you could think so much into the future that you could think into the next world. If you could think of what will be in the next world, then you're considered the biggest chacham, says Rabbi Victor Miller. And this, says Rabbi Victor Miller, is also included in Hawat Anulat. Somebody who goes and sees, foresees what will happen. Meaning that, let's try to explain it like this. You want to be successful in life, you have to think about the future. You can't just, let's wing it. As a lot of the young kids and the people that don't grow up have this mindset, we'll just, we'll just wing it. It's usually a lazy mentality that's just like, like no, I have so much amuna. We'll just like, let's just... I'm so spontaneous, you know, like, oh, yeah, you want to go on a road trip across that? Let's just wing it. So, and now again, spontaneity, it's, I'm not saying it's a bad, it's a bad thing to be spontaneous, but you have to think in advance. Don't go on a cross-country road trip with $20 in your pocket figuring you'll figure it out. No, you have to be a, bit, a little bit smart. So if you want to be successful, you have to think about the future. I and mean, this isn't everything. If you want to be successful in business, you have to be three steps ahead, not of everybody else. You have to be three steps ahead of you, of where you are. You want, to be, you want to be successful in a relationship? You have to think ahead that you're about to do something, say something, maybe not say something, maybe not do something. How will this affect my spouse? How will this affect my partner? How will this affect my children? How will this uh, you know, affect my, my employees or my employer? There's so many aspects that if we stop for a second before we do something and we think about it, that in itself automatically already makes you successful. Also, you want to learn something. You want to accomplish something. How will I accomplish it? How will I learn? How will I finish it? And this, of course, is needless to say, is olam haba. How will I get into it? What do I need to do? How, how am I planning my future? 
Who is considered someone who is wise? Someone who sees the future in all aspects. Look into the future. Look into what's going to happen. And that will produce success in your life. The Basuke Mishle in Proverbs chapter 22 verse 3. It says that a cunning man, a, a, like a, 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 I guess cunning is the best word. A cunning man saw harm and he hid. Stayed away from the harm. But fools... They, what do they do? They go and they transgress, they go and they fall into the harm, and they were punished. Now explains the Vilna going on this pasuk. That a fool goes on and gets punished, even though something wasn't decreed upon them. But because they were negligent, because they neglected to protect themselves, they went and now they got, they got punished. If someone goes and persists in going into a place that they should not have gone to, and therefore they ended up with some sort of problem, then they get punished for it. Not because they can say, oh wait, God wants me to do this. No, because you are a fool and you shouldn't have done what you have done. The, the Vilna Gaon explains that we always have to have the speed of a deer. A deer, anybody who's seen, uh, you know, deers, it's, if, if you see a deer in the wild, then the second that you, let's say, just step in its vicinity, no matter if it's sleeping, if it's, even if it's drunk, on life, I don't know, right, even no, a deer, the second that it hears something, it, it's already, it, it's like, in like, the flight mode, it's like, okay, what do I need to do, what, you know, and that, the second that it senses any danger, that thing shoots off with <laughs> crazy amount of speed, says the Vilna Gohan, just like a deer, even if it's sleeping, is always up and away at the slightest hint of danger, so too, that's how we need to be, if you see any slightest hint of danger, you go away. This is not only in the physical realm, in the physical world. It's also in the spiritual world. That if you smell a little spiritual peril, a little spiritual danger, you have bad company or something of the sort, then you have to distance yourself as much as possible from that danger. Only a fool is willing to risk it. And then what happens when they risk it, regardless of whether it's physical or spiritual, they go and they fall. Even if there was a decree for them that they shouldn't have happened, but they were negligent and they caused it to happen, they get punished for that. Just like a person won't drink a poisonous drink. Nobody who is has a brain in their heads are going to be like, okay, I'm going to go fight a lion. I don't care how drunk you are and how much drugs you have taken, you don't go fight a lion. You don't go jump into the ocean from a, you know, a, a, a cruise ship. You don't go jump into the fire. For, the, the, you don't put yourself in danger. Because you know what, says Rabbi Victor Miller? Two things can happen when you put yourself in danger. Number one, you die. Simple as that. And not only that, it's considered if, if someone goes and puts himself into danger. And because of that, they passed away, they died that they will be held accountable for that. They will be considered as if they killed themselves. That's, they get punished like a murderer. You can, you, just like you can murder somebody else, you can also murder yourself. You also are in that category. There are people that do the most dumbest things possible for videos. Uh, and there are so many stories where they go and they, I don't know if you guys heard about this, well, they go and they, they climb, they scale, let's say, um, skyscrapers from the outside or scaffoldings and they fall to their deaths. They fall to their deaths because of the video that they will get. And maybe somebody is going to like that. Maybe a little boy in China that just finished making Nike Snickers would watch this video and then he'll give you a thumbs up. And then you made it in life. Okay, because Xing Yang Hung went and liked your video and you're like, Baruch Hashem, I made him. What are you kidding? If some, and there's people that went and they've tried these things and they've literally died. Those people, they're considered as murderers. They kill themselves. They put themselves into spiritual danger and because of that, or physical danger, and because of that, they're held accountable. Very, very scary thought. 
The second possibility, number one, we said either you, uh, this person passes away. The second possibility is that you'll be saved. God will save you. But there's a problem with that. And the problem with that is, is that the merits, the schuyot of the person will be annulled. He will lose his reward. The Gemara in Shabbat, page 32a says, that a man should never put himself in danger thinking that a miracle will be performed for him. Because maybe no miracle will be done for them. And even, says the Gemara, if a miracle is done for them, that will reduce the merits that they have. Meaning that don't put yourself into spiritual danger or physical danger. Because if you do and you get saved, that's not just like, okay, I made it. No, there are merits that are getting deducted because of that. And I'll tell you like this, there are things that I, do, that I have done in my life that were not the smartest. And had I been smart, I would have not done these things. When I was younger, I was a little bit of a wild kid. And this, these are things that we have to realize this is not, a, not it's not something that would be like, oh, okay, so fine, so you could do X, Y, and Z, so you should do it. No, no, no. You have to be very smart. Don't put yourself in danger. Don't put yourself in a situation where it's impossible that your merits are reduced. Yaakov Avinu, our forefather, said in Bereshit chapter 32 verse 11, Katanti mekola chasadim. I became small from all your kindness. The Talgum goes and explains, what does that mean? It means that my merits, I became small, my merits have diminished. My merits made me small due to all your favors and your kindness. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has done so much kindness to Yaakov. And Yaakov says, I, I became small. From all these kindness that you, do, that you did to me, it's reducing my, my merits. And that's why I feel so small. Says Rabbi Vigdamela. Just like when you know, when you go in, in the physical world, if you go out at night to a dangerous place, if you go out, if you jump off a roof, Nobody has to explain to you that if you jump off a roof, you're going to get hurt. You know what to expect. So too, when a man is negligent, and then they fall into doing a sin, he, that's of deserving of punishment. And Rabbi Victor Miller also you know, says this. I, I just you know, love the way that Rabbi Victor Miller presents the information. It's just so, I guess it's so, it's like so raw. It's like really like, like just like, there's, it's just like there. It's like everything's like here for you. It's like, he goes and he says that you walk, you go on the subway, you go on the bus, and you're holding on the poles, and you're holding on, this is by the way, pre-corona, okay? There's a, you hold on the poles, or you hold on that, what do you do when it's, he goes and the Victor Miller says it's common sense, and it is common sense, when you come home, you wash your hands. You know how many people, just watch, next time you're on the subway, now it's masks and gloves and who knows what. Watch, when, just watch somebody hold the pole. Watch what they do. You won't be surprised how many bodily fluids end up on that pole in the span of five minutes. Of five minutes. A person sneezes, coughs, and does a bunch of other things, and they're polishing that pole that you're, you know, they're holding over there. And then you go and you hold it. And then you go and you scratch your eye, you scratch your ear, and you shake hands, and you, you know, then you, you know, you use your hand as a toothpick, and you're doing all these wonderful things in public. And then you're surprised why you got a cold. Says our Victor no, you're touching something, it's common sense, it's full of germs, it's full of bacteria, when you go home, you wash your hands. There's a rule that I try to enforce in my home, that whenever my kids come home, they have to wash their hands. Washing your hands is very, very important. And says our Victor Miller, if somebody disregards this, he's considered a chote, he's considered a sinner. You have to go and you have to wash your hands when you come home. This is pre-corona. During the days of corona, you should be always washing your hands on it. And I'm not saying for those people who have OCD, which every 30 seconds they're sitting on there and washing their hands, they're bleeding from the veins or just like popping out because of the amount of hand washing. That, no, there's always a normal balance that you need to have. But just like we have an obligation in the physical sense, so too we have an obligation in the spiritual sense. Don't go to a bad website and then be surprised that you sinned. 
Be like, no, stay away from that. Don't go and say, okay, let me watch X, Y, and Z. And then all of a sudden, I get a bunch of emails the next day. I'd be like, Rabbi, I fell again. What am I supposed to do? Put a filter. I don't know what you're supposed to do. Take your phone, take a hammer, and go to town. On the phone, that is. Right? Just what, what, get your, don't put yourself in a situation that you're going to see. Sin. Don't meet with friends that are going to cause you problems, don't, that spiritual problems. You know that they're going to be speaking Lashon Ha. You know that they're going to be dressing immodestly. And that's very tempting. You know, it can be very you know, tempting to a person that let's say they're going out with friends or with an uh, entire crew that they're all dressing a certain way. And you, you know, feel sort of obligated to dress a certain way. Don't go with that group. A group that maybe talks vulgar. A group that maybe deals with drugs and alcohol and all these other things. Stay away. Don't go and put yourself in a situation that maybe will cause yourself to get angry and scream. You have to go and you have to do your hishadut, your effort to stay away. Just like we have to do our efforts in the spirit. In the physical sense, so too we have to do our efforts in the spiritual world as well. The Midrash tells us that the man descended daily. And it's interesting because rather than large amounts falling onto the, uh, you know, well actually large amounts did fall, but when a person took the amount of man, they only took for one day. Why the Midrashim tell us that a person should never forget his reliance on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He should never forget that you have to rely on Hashem. So every single day you have to go and collect another portion of man. The Shisachayim goes and says that it is important to understand that this rule is only pertaining to, to worldly matters, to the physical effort in this world. But regarding spiritual acquisitions... For example, Torah and attaining, uh, you know, attaining the, the Yirat Shemayim, fear of heaven. The opposite is true. A person has to go and do it to the most of their ability to go and toil and work on achieving some sort of spiritual greatness. And the Koch Ve'or goes and says that once a person does all that they're capable of doing, then Hashem will send divine assistance and they will be able to do it. Now let's explain what I just said. Rabbi Asher Zelig Rubishin um, explains this based off the Shara Bitachon in the Chobot Al-Vavot. And he explains as follows. And this is based off the Chobot Al-Vavot. For physical things, we have to do the minimal requirement. And then we rely on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We rely on God, we rely on Hashem. But for spiritual matters, we have to push ourselves to do as much as we possibly can. And the Chavot Avot goes and says that the, a, a mitzvah, a, a, a good deed, or an avera, a sin, can be carried out, it, it, it has to have three conditions. Number one, you have to have the desire in your heart to do it. Number two, you have to decide that you will carry out. Meaning, so you have the desire, think of it, this is the, the emotional desire. Again, emotion's my addition to it. And then you have to have the will of carrying it out. Let's, let's put that into the intellectual aspect of it. Be like, okay, I, I know I want to do it. Now I'm thinking how I'm going to carry out. And I decide I am going to do it. That's uh, aspect number two. Aspect number three is actually bringing it into action and actually doing the, uh, the mitzvah or the sin. Now, says the Chavad Al-Vot, two out of these three are in our control. One is beyond our control. Number one, what is in our control is the choice to do a mitzvah or to do a sin. When we decide to do something, that's, that's, our, uh, that's our choice. When we have the intent and the resolve to carry out that choice, that's also in our intent. We could decide that we want to do something, and then we could figure out a way that we're going to go and do it. This is all in our realm of choice. But then, says the Chavad Avod, we get into the third category. And the third category, that's no longer in our choice. That is when we would want to go and do it and physically do the mitzvah. And I'll give you an example. 
let's say somebody would want to go and um, donate to an organization called Daily Giving. Let me just throw it out of the hat. Right? And um, they decide in their mind that they are, you know, they really want to do it. They heard the amazingness of it. And they decided they're going to do it. And they even figured out they're going to go and, uh, and, and punch in their credit card as soon as they finish listening to the class. Or even better yet, they're going to pause this lecture if they listen to it or they're going to leave right now. and Whatever it is, right? They're going to go and do it. But the problem is that they go to get the credit card and they can't, they can't find the credit card. So meaning that they have the first two options that was in their realm. But now when you want to actually physically do the mitzvah, you want to give the charity, you want to do it, but that's already in God's hands. You could go on your web and also the internet goes down. You could go and you could go on the website and, there, and the site is down. Whatever it is, there's so many different aspects that could come out of it. So, there are two that are in our control and one that is in, in, only in Hashem's hand. Now, if the... Again, I'll give you an example, you know, m- you know, more examples on this. So let's say somebody wants to keep sukkah. Any, any of the mitzvah, doesn't have to be shofar, matzah, anything... They will not be able to do it unless they, you know, God gives us the ability to do it. That meaning that this external factor of the action aspect of it is not an our free choice. We could decide we want to do it, but it doesn't mean that's going to happen. What's in our free choice is our emotions and our thought. So we could decide we want to do it, and we could have the attempt and resolve to do it. That's in our choice. After that, it's already in Hashem's hands. Now. What happens if, let's say, you think about it, that you decide that you want to do it, and then you have intent and resolve that you're going to do it, but you don't actually end up doing it? What happens in that situation? So even though the mitzvah itself was not accomplished, you will still receive reward for the choice and the resolve of doing it. And yes, thank you for posting that in the chat, the, the, the Daily Giving website. So, the... This is what the Gemara in Kedushin, page 40a says. That one who thought to fulfill a mitzvah, but was prevented, is giving reward as if they were carried out the mitzvah. You get the reward. But what type of reward do you get? You get a certain reward. It doesn't mean that you're going to get the same reward, so to speak. Again, there's a lot to speak about how the, the, the reward break is, is going to you know, break down. But if you completed an act, a mitzvah, the reward is obviously going to be greater than if you weren't able to do it. Now, again, there are different aspects of this, and we spoke about this previously, I believe, in a Purim class, but this is the simple understanding of it. There's a lot more to talk about that, but the simple understanding is you want to get the highest level possible is that you actually get that act or deed accomplished. Now, the... You know, the... Misirat Yishalim goes, you know, we have to speak a little bit about the concept of like, okay, I wanted to do something, but I couldn't actually get it done. It didn't happen. So maybe, you know, like I wanted to give the daily giving, but it just didn't happen. So maybe it's from Hashem, Hashem didn't want this to get happen. The Misirat Yishalim in the ninth chapter speaks about zizut, that's alacrity, the, the speed of doing things. And he, he speaks about that. People look for excuses to do something, whether it's to learn, to do mitzvah, to come to class, to dress ma. People look for excuses. Sometimes they're right. The excuse is good and it's right. But sometimes they exaggerate and it's laziness that's real excuse. And what is it all based? It's all based on the bias. You, you, we're biased to do something. So because we're biased, we tend to lean a certain way. And when we lean a certain way, we sort of, we want the answer to be a certain answer. I have... This happens very often when people call me up and ask a question, but they lead up the question 
that I know what they want me to answer. <laughs> so it could be in any, in any aspect. It's very, very simple. You see where they're leaning towards. So they're already, they know that they have a question, but they're already biased to one side. So in the physical world, okay, fine, that's maybe. But in the spiritual world, it's a different, it's a different story. That you're biased you know, to one side, maybe that you come to a conclusion saying, you know what, I want to do a mitzvah. And I tried to do the mitzvah, but it didn't work. But maybe, is it true that it didn't work? Did you really try? Maybe you could have done something and you were kind of biased and that's why you came to that, that conclusion. The Altar Nevadic had a specific question that he, want, he wasn't sure if he should go to ask a certain wealthy man to contribute to his, uh, to his yeshiva. And he was going back and forth. He wasn't sure on, on what to do. And it was a snowy night. It was a cold night. And he goes and he tells his, um, his, sh- his shamish, he says, you know, we're going to go this, to this wealthy man. And he says, I want you to get ready. But the Alton Nevadic says that we're going to go, but I don't know if we're actually going to go knock on his door or not. And the shamish says, okay, fine. And they start going. They walk up. They get to the, to the house of this wealthy man. And the Alta Nevada, the rabbi, goes to the shamash and says, I made up my mind. We're going to turn around and go back home. And so the shamash is like, okay, fine. They turn around, they walk back home. And as they're walking back home, the rabbi goes and tells the shamash, and he tells his uh, you know, assistant, he says, you know, when I was sitting in my warm house, and I was thinking, should I go to this wealthy man or not? And I had reasons to go, and I had reasons not to go. But I don't know if I was biased or not. It's cold outside. It's snowing outside. Maybe I am biased. And maybe I'm saying, you know what? I shouldn't go. Why shouldn't I go? For real reasons that, that I'm, I want to stay in the warm home. I don't want to go outside in the cold. It's snowing. It's wet. I just want to stay home. So the author says, I, I feel like I'm not making the right decision. If I really have to make the, the question is at hand, should I go to him? Should I not go to him? I have to take my bias out of it. So the Alta Nevada says, we're going to walk. And as we're walking, now we're outside. Now we're in front of the, this wealthy person's house. Now I can make the decision. Should I go knock or should I not go knock? That is somebody who is in control of their mind. That is somebody who is in control of their emotions. That is somebody who knows where they're holding in their life. And he went and he, he decided that no, it's the right thing is not to go knock on the door. He turned around and they went back home. Now, this is very important for us. And when we ask, Maybe we could have done something and we couldn't have done Whatever it is, we have to stop for a second. We have to say, you know what? Maybe I'm biased. Maybe, you know, this is not the correct, uh, you know, resolve that I should have. Now, the question that this leads up to us is that, why is it that when we're dealing with spiritual matters, it's left up to us? Meaning that when we said the Chobavot brings down that, when it comes to the physical, we, we do a little bit and we rely on God. But when we come to the spiritual, we have to do to the most of our ability to the extent that we have to even figure out if we're biased or not. That to such an extent. Why is it that it's so, you know, diametrically opposed from each other that one is on this range and then the other one is all the way on the far end of it? So there's two answers for it. Number one is that when you're dealing in the realm of mitzvot, everything is clearly explained what we need to do. We know how to blow shofar. We know how to be modest. We know how to speak. We know how to do everything in the spiritual realm. It's spelled out very clearly for us what we need to do. But when it comes to gashmias, when it comes to the worldly matters, decisions, then how do you know how much effort that you need? It's, it's very, very, you know, it's a great question. We, again, it's something we spoke about. What business should we get into? Maybe where should we live? There's so many different factors that it's not clearly spelled out for us. So only when you're dealing with that and we don't have the clarity, that's when you have to rely on God. This is when you have to rely on God. But further that, there's also sometimes that we go too far 
in our worldly hishtadlut, in our worldly effort. Rabbi Shazal Grubinson brings down a story that he had a student, a student by the name of Shmuel. And this Shmuel was a, he was a very good learner. He, used to, he, he learned very well, focused a lot, big masmid. And he had a tremendous amount of potential. And he goes over to the Rosh Hashiva, Rabbi Shazal Grubinson, and he says, listen, I need to go back to America. He was learning in Eretz Israel. He says, I, uh, I need to go to college. He says, I want to become a history teacher. This is what my Panasan is to be. And I need to get a master's degree in order to do this. So, um, even though that the rabbi tried to tell him he had so much potential, it would be really beneficial for him to stay over here, his mind was set up and he had to go back. So he goes back, he goes home, and he pursues his career, he goes to college. He comes back to Eretz Israel during the summer months to learn. And eventually the years go by and he, um, you know, he, he finishes college and he becomes a history professor in, uh, in, uh, in college. And the rabbi saw him one summer and he asked him, he said, so how are things going, you know, teaching history? So the student replied, oh, he says, oh, that? No, I don't do that anymore. I'm not a history professor anymore. So the rabbi says, what happened? He says, you spent so much time and effort doing, going to this. So he said, you know, I, I worked so hard and I spent many years in college and I was teaching 60 students at a semester and I had to prepare lessons, I had to mark papers and I had to spend so much time on class that I, I didn't feel I was compensated enough. It wasn't worth it, my time and effort into this. So the student went and he continued, says, I decided that I'm going to take a six weeks course in computers and he took a six weeks course in computers and he tells the rabbi, now I'm making twice as much as I made as a college professor. So, and he, and he goes, the student goes and says, you know, the master's degree was a total waste of time. And he goes over to the rabbi and he says, I was so stubborn, I didn't listen to you. He says, I knew that I made a bad decision. And sometimes in life, we put too much effort in our physical hishtadlut, things that we don't need to. And here you have a guy that put years into the college where he didn't even end up needing it. Six weeks, six weeks, and he made double of what he was making as, as a uh, professor. So the answer number one is that sometimes we go too far. And sometimes we don't know exactly where, how far we need to go and how little we need to go. The second answer is what is the difference between spiritual hishadut and physical hishadut and why is it in the spiritual realm we have to do a lot more than in the physical realm is when you're dealing with the spiritual realm, the avodat Hashem, the Torah, the mitzvot, the masim tovim, no matter what you're doing, whether you're successful or not in, in your, what you're trying to accomplish, the outcome is always good. If you try to do something spiritually and you fail or even if you don't see, no matter how far you get, it's already good. But when it comes to worldly pursuits, sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. Sometimes we think something is good and it may lead to a negative result. Sometimes you think that you know becoming wealthy is something that's very good. And we go and we work very hard and then they become wealthy. And we become wealthy. And what happens? Unfortunately, it could be bad for us. It could be that uh, there are problems at home. There's, problem, there's so many problems that can happen to it. The flip side also. Sometimes we feel that unfortunately someone lost money. And because they lost money, there's many stories that happened of this, that because they lost money, they lost the business, they became huge Talmidei Chachamim. They became leaders of Kalal Yisrael. So when it comes to the spiritual realm, we always succeed. No matter what happens, you succeeded. You tried, you succeeded. You failed, you succeeded. doesn't matter, you succeed. But when it comes to the physical realm, that sometimes when we succeed, it could be a failure. And sometimes when we fail, it could be a success. So we don't know what's a success and what's a failure. And hence, that's why the effort that you put into it is not the same effort that you put into the spiritual realm. Because whatever effort you put into the spiritual realm already is a success. The Chavot Avad goes on and says that after we choose to do mitzvah 
full-heartedly. And we decide, we remember we mentioned three things, that we chose to do it, and then we had the resolve and intent to do it. And then obviously the action is beyond us. But there's something in between two and three that we have to do. And that is that after we decide that we want to do something, and after we resolve to do something, we are obligated to pray to Hashem to help us do that. It's not enough to just be like, okay, I decided to do it and I want to do it. No, 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 you have to, you have to pray that I'll, I'll be successful. Comes Thursday morning and you want to come to Shiur Torah, you have to go and tell God, you know Hashem, please help me that I should be able to make it. Please help me that I should be able to understand. I mean, I, I pray that I please help me that I should say the right things. We have to go and we have to pray when we decide that we want to do something. We have to give that extra prayer even though we made our decision. Why? Because sometimes we decide that we're going to do something. And then we may see something, we may hear something, sometimes we smell something. <laughs> and uh, we sort of uh, decide that we're going to do something else. That you all of a sudden, you decided that you're going to do a certain mitzvah. But then a few hours go by, you decided you're going to get to dailygiving.org. A few hours go by and then all of a sudden you forgot about it, you see something you want on Macy's, Macy's are closing, they're closing their stores and there's 400% discount and now you have to go, so maybe next month you'll start, maybe this year will start. Uh, so there's so many different factors, so maybe you'll, you know, will be distracted and you won't be able to accomplish it. Once you think dailygiving.org, and then you decide, dailygiving.org, <laughs> then you have to pray to Hashem, please Hashem, let me be able to give to dailygiving.org. So there's so many different aspects that come into it that when we decide something, it's not enough that we just do it. We have to put in our effort and we have to put in our prayer as well. But what happens once you put in all your effort? You put in all your prayer and then what? The Briscoe Rav was once preparing for Sukkot and he decided that he wanted to buy a Moroccan etog. And after much money, toil and effort that he put into it, he secured one. And it was on its way to uh, buy a boat to El Israel. The problem was, it got delayed, and when it finally reached the Israeli port, it was two days before Sukkot. But the problem was, is that the government, the Ministry of Agriculture, they have to approve any fruit coming in and out of the country. They have to approve it. I remember one time, I was traveling to, um, to Mexico, and I had to bring kosher food, because I, I wasn't sure, this is years and years ago, before there's like 17 restaurants over there. Um, and I had to bring kosher food, I had to bring food. So I, I had frozen meals that I bought, and I brought in my suitcase. The Mexican government, they come and they stop it, and says, no, you can't bring food in here. I'm like, I'm coming from America. It's the other way around. Right? I'm bringing the good stuff to you. What are you talking about? Like, you know, like, uh, there's only so much avocados I can eat. But, w- you know, like, when you're bringing stuff from Mexico to America, then fine. You know, I'm not sure about the mad cow disease. I don't know if I can bring it. Like, I'm bringing kosher stuff. This is the best stuff possible. Needless to say, they didn't like that argument and they took away all my food. Um, so I had to go on a little bit of vegetarian diet. But the, regardless of that, when you're going into Israel and you're bringing in fruit, the Ministry of Agriculture wants to see what you're bringing. They have to approve any fruit that's coming in. It's all a fruit. So it's stated that it's going to have to take 10 days to get the approval for this fruit to come in. So the Briskarov went and he asked Rav Shlomo Lawrence, uh, he was a Chedah Knesset, a, a government official, to intervene. And Rav Shlomo worked tirelessly, you know, go pulling all the, you know, the, the strings that he had to get the approvals in the port in Haifa. And finally, finally, they delivered the etrog. But the problem was, it was two days after Sukkot. The Briskarov goes and says, you know, I try my best. 
I did everything that I could, but Hashem allowed it that it shouldn't happen. And this is what Hashem wanted. Meaning that we have to do all our effort. We have to do our, we have to decide to do it. And then we have to put our resolve and intent to do it. And then we have to pray to Hashem to do it. After that, then all of a sudden it's all in Hashem's hand. And when we do our effort, people don't realize that our effort is sometimes if you want to get something, this is very, very important. Sometimes you want to get something in life. It's not enough just to like pray for something. You have to utilize any opportunity that Hashem gives you to go and do a mitzvah. Because sometimes you want to get something, but an opportunity comes from a different angle and that's going to be your merit to getting what you want to do in a completely different uh, uh, you know, you know, uh, section in your life. And Rabbi, uh, David Asher brings down a story that there was once a... Um, a person from the Syrian community, uh, a very traditional, you know, like Chalabi, from the Aleppo community, like a real, real Syrian. And um, they wanted to put their, their daughter into a certain Sephardi school. And the problem was is that the, she didn't get accepted to that particular school. So he was told that he could get in the exact same education in an Ashkenazi school, in a Bet Yaakov in Balpak. So he calls over the rabbi in charge of this base Yaakov in Barpark. And the rabbi says, listen, you know, we would love to accept your daughter, but there's a long waiting list. In fact, there's 150 people in front of you. You are number 151. So he says, okay, put me on the list. What can I, you know, what can I tell you? So a couple of days go by. A couple of days, that's it. He's driving to work and he's driving down the West Side Highway. And he sees two Jews stop with their car on the side of the, work, on the, side of the road. And he sees two Jews, he pulls over, and he says, you know, can I help you? Is there something that I can help you with? So they said, if you could please help us push the car to the nearest, uh, you know, exit, and there we could bring it to a certain mechanic that's right over here. Maybe you could check out what the problem is. The car is not, uh, is not working. So he said, yeah, not a problem. He goes over there and he's pushing the car. And as he's pushing the car, they, you know, there's, a, there's another person also pushing it. And they start having a conversation. And things, you know, are just talking. He says, how are things in your life? How are things in your life? After they, they go through the basic formalities. And he says, you know, everything's going good. I have a particular daughter that I'm trying to get into a particular Bess Yaakov in Bar Park. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. There's like 150 people ahead of me. So I don't know how it will happen. So he says, wait. So the guy, the other guy's like, which, uh, which school are you trying to get into? And he says the name of the school. He says, oh. He says, I happen to know the rabbi in charge of admissions very well. So maybe I can help you out. The next day, he gets a phone call. The Syrian guy gets a phone call. And he says, um, I set you up with a meeting with this rabbi. This is the guy that he helped push. And he says, I want you to go to the rabbi right now. And he, you know, you don't need to say again. If you have 150 people online, right, dailygiving.org, you know, whatever. You know, you don't have to say it again. And he goes and he says, okay, he leaves everything and he goes right to the, right to the meeting. He goes into the meeting. He didn't even need to sit down. And the rabbi tells him, he says, you know, Mr. So-and-so called me and he asked me for a favor for you. And he, he says, you know, I owe this person a lot and whatever he needs, I will do. I owe him. I can't. So what can I tell you? Welcome to the school. He goes, he's like, <laughs> he's like, okay, he shakes his hand and he, pre-corona, right? He shakes his hand and he, uh, um, and he leaves. When, when he leaves, he calls over his benefactor. He says, you know, I have to thank you so much. You got me into the school. You don't know what, you know, you're a lifesaver. He says, so the benefactor, the guy who helped, you know, who he pushed with, he says, um, you know what's interesting? He says, we pushed the car to the, you know, mechanic. The mechanic sat there for, looked at the car, looking at all angles, and the mechanic told us, he says, I, you know, there's nothing wrong with your car. He says, just turn the key and, uh, and drive. And he says, no, he says, you don't understand, it's not starting. He says, the mechanic goes, says, try it. 
the guy turns, sits in the car, turns the key, the engine starts, no problem, he just drives away. He says, there was never a problem with the car. <laughs> he says, go figure. He says, when we have to do our Ishtadlut, sometimes we have to do our Ishtadlut and we think we have to do our Ishtadlut in this manner. I want to get, uh, you, know, uh, you know, married, let's say, so I'm going to do my Ishtadlut in Shaduchim and what am I going to do? I'm going to help other people get married. And it's great and you should continue doing that. But sometimes your Zivug, your Zichud, your merit comes from a completely different angle. Hashem sends us opportunities in our life to do good. We have to capitalize on those opportunities. We have to look for those opportunities and do those opportunities because you will never know where your merit will come from. You'll never know where your salvation will come from. Bitachon means that you never give up. And not only you never give up, you always ask for Hashem for help in fulfilling His mitzvot. Tomorrow you ask Hashem that I should daven well. Before you daven, you pray to Hashem that you should daven good. Before you do a mitzvah, you pray that you should, it should work out. But once you do all your hishtavlut, once you do everything that you can to the maximum ability that you can, and we're speaking about in the spiritual sense, then the same rule applies as in the physical sense. After that, it's all in Hashem's hands. But, there's one important factor, that when you come to spiritual hishtavlut, you should do more than you do in the physical effort. And you should know, very important, that the more effort that you put off, the better off you are. You will not lose out. The, the story, the story of Gemara Shabbat, page 119a, that says a story about Yosef Mokir Shabbat. And this Yosef, what, what, this Yosef, his name was Yosef, who honored Shabbat. He had a, every time that he went out, he wasn't a man that had a tremendous amount of money, but every time he went out to the marketplace, he always thought about Shabbat. He went out and he saw a certain fish, he bought the fish. And then he saw a better fish, he bought the better fish. He always went and tried to honor Shabbat to the maximum ability that he could, and everybody knew him, he is known as Yosef Mokir Shabbat. Yosef, who honors, who understands, who recognizes Shabbat. One day, his neighbor was a non-Jewish neighbor, a Gentile neighbor that just like had a deep-seated hatred to Jews. And he was a very, very wealthy uh, individual. And he decided he's going to go to get his uh, crystal ball ready. He went to the astrologers. And uh, he tells them, he says, tell me, you didn't have any children, this man. He said, I want to know what's going to happen with all my money. I accumulated a tremendous amount of wealth. What will be with my money after, after I die? So they look into the stars, they look into the crystal bowl, they tell them to split into some tea leaves, and they say, there is a neighbor that you have by the name of Yosef Mokil Shabbat. He is going to inherit and he's going to get all your money. So this, this, this Gentile who hates Jews, he says, the Jew is going to get my money? Absolutely not, I'm going to make sure of it. He goes and he figures out a way. He says, I'm going to sell all my possessions. He goes and he sells everything. He sells everything and he takes all his money, and he buys an expensive jewel, an expensive diamond. And he takes this diamond and he says, this is going to make sure that this Jew is never going to get a cent from me. And he takes his diamond and he puts it inside his turban. He wrapped it around inside his turban. And as he's walking, there, you know, walking back to his house after he finished all this, he is whistling, he's so happy. He's like, now the Jew is never going to get my money. He said, my money is in one place and it's going to stay on me the whole time. This Jew will never get it. And as he's crossing a bridge, there was a huge wind. That started blowing. And it's sort of, it's like in slow motion, his 
turban started flying off. And he's like, oh, no. And he tries to grab it, but the wind's picked up and it just slipped right out of his hands and it flew and it kept on flying and it went right into the river. And he's running after it. And this is his entire life savings is in his hat over there. And it's going down. He jumps into the river, but the, ri- the stream is going faster until it goes too far and he can't see it anymore. It's gone. It's lost. He can't see the turban. He can't see the dog. He can't see anything. Meanwhile, a fish is swimming and looks at this interesting looking shiny object and he's like, ah, I am a fish. I don't have a brain. What is this? Let me eat this. And it eats the diamond. And the fish eats the diamond. And a short while after that, there was a fisherman. And this fisherman went and catched this said fish. And he caught this fish about an hour or two before Shabbat. And the fisherman runs into the marketplace and says, maybe I could sell this to somebody before Shabbat. Maybe I can make some money. So he goes around and he says, you know, anybody want to buy a fish? And they were like, you know, the marketplace is cold. It's closed. It's an hour before Shabbat. Everybody's back in their houses. So he says, maybe you know who I could sell this fish to. I have this, look at this huge, beautiful, magnificent fish. He says, maybe I could sell it to somebody. And they said, who's going to buy? Anybody that prepared already a fish already has one. Who's going to want it? And then suddenly one guy in the back says, he says, you know, that is a really good-looking fish. You know who's going to buy it? Yosef Mokil Shabbat. Yosef, this Yosef, he is go- that's a great fish. He is going to buy- he for sure has a fish, but he's going to buy a better fish in the honor for Shabbat. Go sell to him. He knocks, he runs to this Yosef's door. He knocks on the door and he says, Yosef, maybe you want to buy this beautiful, magnificent fish that I just bought. And Yosef said, I, I have a magnificent fish. But he uncovers the fish and he says, wow, that is a beautiful fish. He says, you know, that is a nicer fish than what I have. He says, you know what? I will buy it in honor of Shabbat. And he goes and he buys it to Shabbat. And of course, as you know, he goes and his wife opens up the fish. And what does she see over there? This beautiful diamond. And they were rich and happily ever after. And uh, they own buildings in Manhattan. Right? So we know the ending is unbelievable. We learned two amazing things from here. Number one, when you rely on physical means that you'll be like, okay, I'm going to make sure that this guy is not going to get my money. What do you do? It's similar that you rely on your natural means. It's similar to somebody who's running, but no clue where you're running to. You're like blind man running. I'm going to make my money here. I'm going to make my money here. You don't know what you're talking about. Your money is going to come from Hashem, from things that you never even dreamt of. Your, your shiduch is going to come from places that you didn't even think of. Your children, your nachas is going to come from different angles. We don't know. We go and we chase something. We put so much effort in our physical well-being and our physical, you know, spiritual, not physical, I'm sorry, and, and financial well-being that we feel like this is what we're doing. We need to accomplish and this is the path. We're running to somewhere that we have no idea where we're running to. But in the spiritual sense, that you have to run a lot. And one thing that we learn also, the second thing that we learn from here is that the more effort that you put on spirituality, the better off that you are. Look at this Yosef Mokil Shabbat. This Yosef could have been like, listen, spirituality, it's Shabbat, in honor of Shabbat, I already did my Ishtadlut, I have a beautiful fish, I don't need this fish. He would have been correct in saying that. But you never lose out. You keep on doing to the maximum ability that you can in the spiritual realm. And the more that you do, the better off that you are. And when you go and when you give, when you do a tremendous amount of effort in the spiritual realm, you know, sometimes, and I'll give you an example. Let's say somebody is, uh, um, let's say, uh, giving chizuk to somebody else. Let's say you have a friend that's going through a hard time and you want to give them some sort of encouragement. And you feel, you know, like, you know, it's taking away from your time. By the way, this is also a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing to go and help your friend. 
and you feel like, you know, maybe you're wasting your time with this. We should know, and this is something I want to share with you from Rabbi David Asher, that when someone goes and gives chizuk, encouragement, it's like you give from the life itself. You're giving that life. If somebody is emotionally broken, depressed, sad, you know, uh, um, in, in such a down state that they can't get out of bed, words of encouragement can restore their life. Sometimes you don't even have to speak. Sometimes you just have to listen. And Rabbi Akiva goes and says that, what does it go in the physical world? If let's say somebody has only enough water to sustain themselves, they're allowed to drink it, they don't have to share it with anybody else. Why? Because your own life takes precedence over the lives of others. But there's many questions that the commentators ask on this. We know the Pasuk in Vayikha, chapter 19, verse 18, it says, You have to love your fellow like yourself. So how can we be required to love other people like ourselves when we're allowed to save ourselves before we're allowed to save others? So the Chassam Sofer goes and answers like this follows. He says, when we're dealing with physical matters, we have to go and we have to take care of our own needs. And this comes before the needs of others. But when it comes to spiritual matters, no one takes precedence over anybody else. Meaning that if you're spending hours to helping somebody else spiritually, you're not sacrificing anything from your own spiritual growth. If you're going and you decide you're, you're going to go teach Torah, and because what happens is when you teach Torah, it takes up a lot of your time. You cannot learn the things that you wanted to learn. You cannot go and focus on things that you wanted to go because now you have to prepare classes and now you have to do that. But one thing is certain that when you're dealing with spiritual matters, you don't take precedence over anybody else. Ve'hata is in the spiritual aspect that you don't go before anybody else. And what happens is, is that when you're going and you're doing for other people, you do not sacrifice anything. There was a certain man living in Raden. And he was an older gentleman, and he was still not married yet. And it was the night of Yom Kippur. And he decided, what am I going to go home? Where do I have to go home to? I have nobody in my house. He was a single older man, he had nothing doing. And he decided that he's going to sit in shul. And he sits in shul, and then all of a sudden, someone unexpectedly comes and sits right next to him. He looks up, and it's none other than the Chafetz Chaim. And the big Chacham, the, the Gadol Hadol, the greatest age of the generation goes and starts to speak to him about the problems that the Chafetz Chaim had when he was younger in his life. And he started, the Chafetz Chaim started telling him, he says, you know, when he was younger, his father passed away when he was just 10 years old. And they suffered extreme poverty. And they went away to his yeshiva and he went on his own without any family. And when the time came to get married, he was part of an elite group of young men. He was one of the top guys in the yeshiva. And every... Everybody in this group were offered enormous dowries by wealthy men. That they, the, the men, they knew the value of Torah. They wanted the daughters to marry a Talmud Chacham. So they were willing to give a tremendous amount of money to, of his dowry that their daughters, that they would get the best, the best boys. However, and Chafetz Chaim was part of this group. But Chafetz Chaim's stepfather, who was also very, very poor, he urged him, he says, please marry, he wanted to marry his daughter. And his daughter was older than Chafetz Chaim. The Chafetz Chaim thought about it and he agreed to marry this girl for the sake of his mother's marriage. And even though he was forced to struggle, and he ended up looking around and he saw his friends that married girls from very wealthy families. And he was wondering, you know, like, you know, what's going on over here? Look at, look at the difference over here. And then he kept on just like watching and he noticed that all these guys that were great guys, that they married wealthy girls they were eventually led away from the, from the path of the Torah. Not that they became Qasim Shalom secular, but they couldn't learn anymore. They got involved in you know, the business world. But his wife was a kind and supportive woman who constantly encouraged him to devote himself to Torah learning. 
And says the Chafetz Chaim, throughout all my or- ordeals, the Chafetz Chaim is telling this, this, this gentleman who's going through obviously a very rough time in his life. He says, you know, I stayed strong by knowing that Hashem was holding my hand and taking me precisely where I needed to go. And the Chafetz Chaim sat with this man the entire night of Yom Kippur. He sat with the entire night of Yom Kippur, the holiest night of the year. And what he gave encouragement, Chizuk, to this downtrodden person. Not a word of Torah was spoken. Not anything about Tshuva. The Chafetz Chaim knew the value of the Torah. He knew the value of Tshuva. But he also knew the value of encouraging one's fellow. And sometimes when we go and we need to go and help other people, we, we don't lose out from ourselves. Look at what the Chafetz Chaim did. There's so, so much of important lessons that we have to learn. This should blow your mind. You know, yeah, you have people... Comes Yom Kippur. And it's Yom Kippur and they're like, no, sh- I can't talk to anybody. I'm doing a tiny one. I'm not saying it's a good thing that you should do that. The, the, the aspect of, of like just dealing with other people just shuts you off. But maybe somebody needs your help on Yom Kippur night. You shut them off? Is there something that doesn't go out from it? There's so many lessons that we have to learn from the Chafetz, uh, the, you know, the Chafetz, from the Chafetz Chaim and stories like this. In fact, there was once a story that there was a farmer. And this farmer came to a big city. He wanted to be fitted for his first suit ever. His first suit. He had a family wedding. Decided he's going to get a suit. So he goes up and he gets a custom-made suit. And he picks up the suit. He goes, brings it to his house. And he tries to put in his leg and it barely fits in. It's almost ripping. He barely can't even succeed. He's like screaming for frustration. And finally he tries to put in his jacket. And also the same thing. It's barely fitting. He's not able to go. He's not able to put it in. And he gets, he gets so frustrated, he takes off the stuff and he runs back to the, to the store. And he goes over to the, to the tailor and be like, look what you bought for me. It doesn't fit. And he tries to put on the jacket and it barely fits in. And the tailor is looking at him and he starts smiling. He says, my dear farmer, he says, you got to take off your clothing, your overalls, your, you know, your, your shirt before if you want to put on the suit. The suit is meant to fit over your body. you got to take off your clothing that you have on top of it first. The Dubna Magid goes and says that one time he spoke in a town with a few maskilim. These are people that were members of the Enlightenment movement. They were straying away from Judaism. And one of these cynics were totally unaffected by the warm, inspiring message that came from this Magid speech. And the, this person, the cynic, goes over to the Magid, the rabbi, and he goes and says, you know, it says that things that come out of the heart penetrate the heart. And this thing, it goes over to the Dibna Magan and it says, your words had no impact on me whatsoever. You came over here and you started speaking about all the, you know, beautiful things of the Torah, all these big best care of seminar ever. He says, it didn't penetrate me one bit. So the Dibna Magan smiled. And he says, let me tell you a story. He says, it was once a simpleton. And uh, this simpleton went to the workplace of a blacksmith and he saw he was holding this bellow. This bellow is like a sort of like a, uh, looks like a half accordion that when you blow it, it's meant to produce ear and this ear helps start a fire in the fireplace. So you start a small spark and then you use this bellow and then it produce, and then it helps the, the fire, um, the fire grow much quicker than it would otherwise. And he's looking at this invention. And he's like, that's amazing. He says, I always have a problem, you know, starting a fire in my fireplace. So he goes and he buys this invention, this bellow. And he goes over to his fireplace. He throws in a bunch of logs into this coal fireplace. And he starts pumping this thing up. And he's pumping it for an hour. He's sweating on there. He's pumping it and not a spark comes out. He's like, furious. He goes back to the blacksmith. He says, you know, I bought this, this blower from you. It doesn't work. 
So the blacksmith started laughing. He says, you're blowing on cold logs. You have to start a small fire. If you don't start a small fire, nothing, there's nothing that this, the, the, this ear would do. It has to base off something. Once you have a spark, then this bellow will go and produce the fire. But if you don't have a spark, nothing's going to happen. The maggot turns over to this maskil, to this, to this person that went slightly off the way of the Torah. And he goes to him and he says, if there's no spark, the largest bellows will not make a fire. If there's no spark in you, the biggest speeches, the best motivation is not going to make a spark inside of you. We have to go and utilize the stories of Tzadikim to ignite a fire in us. We have to at least, though, have a spark. We have to have a spark. We have to do our spiritual hishtalut. And sometimes it's difficult to do that spiritual hishtalut. And we need encouragement. And we need to have that, that motivation to do that. And you know how you get that? You get that from listening to stories of tzaddikim. To look at what the Chafetz Chaim did. He thought about somebody else. Because he realized when it comes to the spiritual things, it's not me over that person. It's not. And when you do for somebody else, you don't lose out. I want to finish off with one final uh, aspect. And that is that the Chafot HaAvot brings down that if somebody wants to get to the highest level of Ulam Abba, this is a level of which Hashem bestows extra kindness and reward upon them, they have to live a life of a chasi, of a righteous person. And this includes seven things, seven actions that you need to do. And now let's go through quickly through those seven actions. Oh, I see it's getting late, so we're going to wrap this up very quickly. Number one, if you want to get to the highest level, these are seven things. Number one, you have to separate yourself from the physical distractions. You have to hate Olam Azay. You have to hate the desires of this world. You have to have pure love for Hashem in your heart. And this was the focus of the Nevardic Yeshiva, as explained by, um, by Rabbi Ashazal Gubinstein. Because this, is the, this was the focus of the Nevardic Yeshiva. They would take their hearts out of Olam Azay, and they focused only on God and only on the service of God. That's number one. Number two is let Hashem guide you. Rabbi Asher Zalgubinsen explains as follows. He goes and says that he heard this, Rabbi Asher Zalgubinsen heard this from Absalom Shadran, who quoted from his Rebbe, Rabbi Eliyahu Lapian, who said that if somebody prepares a speech to deliver, and he's ready to talk, and he's led completely in an entire different direction, he should go with it. Why? Because God is guiding you toward that. You, should, you have to be ready and willing to prepare it to let go of your agenda and follow you know, Hashem's agenda. Let's say you prepared a class and you had no intention in speaking about dailygiving.org. But for whatever reason, Hashem stuck into your mind dailygiving.org, go with it. Go with it and that's where you should go. And that's why, I, as I was saying the names from my grandfather and my uncle, this popped into my mind. And I was like, and I was thinking, and I, this was the process, process of delay, should I say about it or should I not say about it? But as I was thinking about it, I remembered, wait a minute, what am I speaking about today? I'm speaking about today that if Hashem puts a thought in your mind while you're preparing the class, while you're teaching something, this is obviously something that people need to hear. So if so, then there, you need to go and you need to speak about it. So hence, and that's why I spoke about it, and that's why I said this was going to tie in a little bit later what we speak about. Number three, the third thing that you need to do is that all your happiness and your enjoyment should be about HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Everything should be about HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Number four, you have to stay, from Olam, stay away from Olam Zah, stay away from the foolishness of this world. Whatever God is offering you is much better than what you have over here. Stay away from friends that have a bad influence. There's once a story of a man who had a very hard time in this world, meaning that he, he wasn't successful. He tried to, you know, wherever he tried to find success, Panasawa-wise, he couldn't do it. So he goes over to his rabbi and says, listen, rabbi, you know, I, I didn't have Olam Azai, I didn't have the success in this world, but at least I'll have Olam Abba. At least I'll have the next world. 
The rabbi goes to him and says, wait a minute. If for this world you worked so hard and you still didn't get it, then certainly, Olam Abba, which you haven't even worked for, certainly you're not going to get that. This is how the rabbi responded. This is he talking about a truthful rabbi. This guy is going and says, Rabbi, at least I have the next world. The rabbi says, what do you mean? What do you, why would you have the next world? Did you work on it? Did you decide it? You can't just like, go, you're just going to get the next world. Unfortunately, this is the thought that people had. People pass away. He's in a better place. How do you know? Was he a good person? Maybe he's in a worse place. I don't know. Don't tell that to the person, but I'm saying this is a thought that you need to have. Like, oh, all of a sudden, no, the rabbi goes and tells you to your face the way that you're supposed to know. What do you mean you're going to have in the next world? You have to earn it. You have to work. You have to learn. You have to study. You have to do mitzvot. You have to pray. There's so many things that we have to do. You can't, you don't just get it. You have to do it. And this is the fourth thing that we have to do. We have to work very hard. We have to stay away from the foolishness of this world and work hard for the success in the next world. This guy understood what the rabbi says and he says, you know what, you're right. And he went and he changed his life. And he went and he focused on and earning the next, the next world. Number five. Number five is you have to work hard in influence, influencing other people in Avotat Hashem. It's not enough just to do what you need to do. You have to work hard in helping other people. And some people have a very hard time. How am I going to help other people? I don't have the ability to go. So convince people to go to a class. Send people a class. Can buy someone a book. Learn with somebody. There's so many different aspects that you could do. But you have to help and influence others in Avotat Hashem. You have to go and you have to go. The easiest thing nowadays, the easiest thing is that you have social media. Even if you don't have social media, you have email. There are so many shiurim. You go to Torah anytime, you take any class at random and just send it to people. Who cares? You know, you're going to get somebody who's going to listen to it. And there's so many things that you could do influence other people in Avotat Hashem. It's so easy because all you have to do is a link and then you're done. You get reward for that. It's so simple. Don't be a fool and, and overlook this easy, easy uh, mitzvah that you could do. Just like dailygiving.org. An easy mitzvah. This, this thing is spiritually sponsored by dailygiving.org. Okay, uh, now, and by the way, this is not what I want to speak, you know, here I speak about, the Chavag also brings down that there are certain people that you're not going to get into the, a certain aspect in the next world unless you help other people. Uh, so there is a very, very important aspect of it. When if you, we're not going to get it, this Chavag brings it out, maybe it's a topic for a different time, but, uh, but there is a very, very important aspect on helping and influencing other people in Avodat Hashem, in coming closer to HaKadosh Baruch Okay, that was number five. Number six is to serve God with dedication. Just like Abraham was willing to sacrifice Yitzchak, Hananiah, Mishael, and Isaiah were willing to enter the furnace. You have to have the ability to will to do everything for HaKadosh Baruch There was a scary story that happened in the Holocaust that there were 93 Base Yaakov girls in Krakow, and they were trying to escape from the Nazis, and they were surrounded. And they became aware that the Nazis planned to violate them, you know, immorally, and uh, they somehow got hold of a poison, and they chose that they rather die in Kedusha than be, you know, profaned by the evil Nazis and then be killed by, you know, by them. These were teenagers, but they knew the concept of Kedusha. We have to go and serve God with dedication, dedication of our life. That's how we have to serve God with it. And finally, number seven, is that we have to accept Hashem's decrees, knowing that they are for the best. Uh, the, there was once a person who was, uh, was known as Yankel the Ganav, Yankel the Thief. He was a Jewish guy, he wasn't so religious, and he was known as the town uh, thief. You know, every town has an occupation, you have the town doctor, you have the town rabbi, you have the town butcher, and you have the town thief. So that was his occupation, uh, he worked hard for that, uh, you know, title, and, uh, you know, at one point, he became very weak and he was unable to work. So the town priest, which is also an occupation, uh, came and he wanted at least one victory. In the Christian world, if you get a Jew to convert to Christianity, it's like, it's like huge. That's like, you know, it's unbelievable, high, high level. 
So he decided, you know, here's you have a thief, a town thief. He obviously is not too fond of, you know, spiritual well-being. Let me get him to convert to Christianity. So he goes over to this, uh, to this thief and uh, he goes and he says, you know, I want to tell you our religion about love and all you got to do is believe and then you have to go to heaven, blah, 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 all the nonsense and garbage just spewing out of his mouth. And he was trying to sell this to this, uh, to this uh, Yankel, the thief. And uh, the Jew is like, yeah, I appreciate it, but no, uh, no, thank you. I'm not interested. And the priest says, listen, he says, you know, it comes with a very, very nice sizable amount. I know that you're the town thief and now you can't really uh, work so much. Um, uh, it comes in with, uh, write you a check for 10,000, uh, whatever the currency was going back then, right? 10,000 gold coins, uh, which was a huge amount. And this Jew, this, this thief Jew goes over and says, he goes over and says, father, uh, you can give me 100,000 rubles, gold coins, whatever. I will always remain a Jew. And the priest was getting so upset. He's like, he's like, I'm trying to give you everything. He says, if you don't go and convert, we're going to burn you alive. So you know what? This Jew who barely believed in anything, goes, barely worked and did anything. He says, I'll be the happiest Jew alive then. He says, I didn't live well as a Jew, but at least I could die as a good Jew. And you, these stories happen numerous times in the Holocaust. Where you had people that were completely secular. And they ate non-kosher. But when the Nazi said, I want you to eat a cheeseburger. He says, no, I'm not going to eat a cheeseburger. Because the law is that you're not supposed to eat a cheeseburger. And, I, and they went and they died. And I'm not saying what the halachic thing that they should have done and what they should have done. But the point was that all of a sudden, a Jew deep down knows that what what the value is what the value is but on the same angle you also have to go and accept whatever Hashem does knowing that it, this is all for the best and before we open up for questions I want to just tell you one other point that these seven factors I wasn't sure if I was going to say in this class and I wasn't sure if maybe I should leave it for a different time maybe I shouldn't speak about it at all because again this is something that I, you can really spend the whole class on it I really went through it very quickly and I wasn't sure if I should say it and as, you know, it's something very interesting because Hashem put into my mind to speak about daily giving in the beginning. And I spoke about it and I said, you know what, there is something that I, you know, will speak about it later on. And that, that I wanted to speak about it later on is part of that seven things that I wasn't intending on speaking about it. And when I reached the end of my speech for tonight, the class for tonight, I was like, wait a minute, I didn't speak about the fact that I started off with that, I'm going to speak about it later on. So, as I was as I was going through this, I was like, "This is unbelievable." He says, "Like I was thinking, like Hashem did it. You know what? Hashem wanted me to speak about daily giving, and that's why I have to go." And Hashem put it into my mind. But really, maybe, maybe, maybe that's true daily giving. But maybe Hashem wanted me to speak about these seven things. And these seven things, I, I, the truth is, I wasn't intending on speaking about in this class. But now I put myself into the corner. I said that I'm going to tell you. And I didn't realize that it's a part that I wasn't going to speak about it tonight. Whenever I prepare a class, I always have a section that I'm going to speak about and a section that I'm not going to speak about it. Why? I don't know. It's just the way that things work out. That's the way that I prepare my class. I always have, and this was in the section of things that I wasn't going to speak about. But for some reason, I spoke about it. But look how amazing that Hashem is. We started off the class that Hashem is unbelievable. And now it's like really unbelievable. I had no idea, like... I thought I was three steps ahead of it. You know, I really thought I was three steps ahead of it. From when I said my uncle, when I was saying my uncle and my grandfather's name, I was like, okay, I see where this is going. Cool. And let's go with it. But I even realized of where Hashem was taking me. That's how awesome Hashem is. But needless to say, I just have to share that with you. But needless to say, when it comes to the, the just a quick recap, when it comes to the spiritual, spiritual ishtadlut, what we need to do is we need to do more effort than we would do in our, um, in our physical ishtadlut. We have to do more. With that, we'll open up to uh, the questions. Okay, uh, uh, here we go. 
The question number one, there's no limit to advancing spiritually because we can literally learn or say Tehillim every free second that we have. Are women obligated to utilize every free moment? And what is the best way to balance out our daily constant choices between using our time for physical versus spiritual? So two questions we have here and excellent. So it's very important when it comes into, and by the way, I'm so happy that you brought this up. When somebody goes and says, oh, I have to do the effort. So you know what? Somebody's going to go and they're going to start learning. And while they're learning, it's 12 o'clock at night. And they're like, you know what? I have to do more effort. No, it's 1 o'clock at night. And they keep on doing it. They go to sleep at 2 in the morning. And because of that, they can't wake up for shakhi. And because of that, they can't do X, Y, and Z, all the mitzvah. They're grouchy and they go and they lose. That's not right. That's not the correct aspect. The correct aspect is that you have to go and you have to do your spiritual istadu to the maximum of your ability while keeping it in a healthy balance. You cannot go and say, okay, I'm going to learn all night and then I'm not going to be able to pray. I'm not going to be able to go and, and work, let's say, if I'm you know, have a job tomorrow. You have to have a healthy balance. And that balance only you know on where it is that you are. Again, this brings us back to that bias aspect. You'll be like, well, <laughs> I need to watch 17 hours of TV every single day because that's my spiritual wind down. My spiritual... Again, you have to know where your balance, uh, where your balance is. So, the, how do you balance your time between physical and spiritual is the second part of the question. And that is, it depends on where you're holding so, for example, you have to do what you need to do. For, I'll give you an easy example. Some people, they need to go and they need to exercise. Otherwise, they, they don't have energy. They don't have the ability. They, they, you know, it's, not, it's also a healthy aspect. So that part of your spiritual well-being is to go and do some exercise. Part of your spiritual well-being is to go and to go to sleep. Because you're sleeping, you're doing exercise to do a better avodat Hashem. To do better service of, of Akadosh Baruch Hu. So you have to be true to yourself. And you have to be also... You know, normal. You have to be healthy. You have to live a normal, healthy lifestyle. But at the same point in time, you have to do the maximum ability that you can in the spiritual ishtabut. The next question. If one wants something, and they dive in for it, and they get it, can it be that it's not good for them if Hashem gives it to them? So it is possible. Yeah, if let's say somebody goes and prays for something, and they get it, does that mean that it's automatically good for them? Not necessarily. Sometimes you could go and you pray for something and you pray so much and some Hashem says, okay, fine, you prayed so much, I'll give it to you. What could I do? That's why it's also an important aspect to say that, you know, in the prayer that Hashem, you should answer to me and it should be good for me. It should be in, in, a, in a good aspect as well. Okay, next question. Almost every single thing that we do in the physical world can be made spiritual if we have the proper intentions. So should we put a lot of effort into having kavana in our actions? Absolutely. Great, great point. Before you go to sleep, what's a great idea? I say that you're sleeping right now that you could be able to serve Hashem better tomorrow. You'll be able to pray better tomorrow. You'll be able to be a better spouse. You'll be able to be a better daughter. Whatever it is, you should be a better person. Absolutely, you should do that. And then what happens is you're turning everything into uh, into spirituality. You get reward for sleeping. You get reward for eating. You get reward for relaxing. You get reward for taking a walk. You get reward for doing exercise. You get you could. In mindset is everything. You could be able to turn everything around and get reward for it. Okay. Next question. So, Shtadlut for getting married, a person should do more spiritual should like mitzvot chesed and less physical should like calling Shadchanim. So, that is a very good question. That's, that goes back to the question on how much Shtadlut you have to do for the spiritual aspect and how much you have to, Shtadlut you have to do for the, uh, what I say, spiritual, how much you have to do for the spiritual and how much you have to do for the physical. So, for the spiritual, you have to do the maximum ability possible, the maximum that you can do. For the physical, you have to do the minimum you know, that you could do. But what is the minimum? It all depends on you. This is something that um, we, we've 
uh, spoke about in the past few classes, but it's a very hard concept. And that is, it all depends on you and how much effort you have to do. And that all depends on how much effort you do in other places. So it has to be very proportional. You can't go and decide that you're doing, if you're the type of person that goes to work every single day working, you know, uh, you know, a lot of hours to make it, you know, make money. And you're doing more effort in health and more effort in all different aspects that when it comes to Shiduchim, you lay back and be like, Hashem will send it to me. No, no, no. You have to be proportional just like you do the effort in Panasa, you do the effort in relationships, you do the effort in health, so too you have to do the same effort in, uh, in, in Shiduchim. So wherever you are holding in your life, majority of the people should be calling Shatchanim, yes. They should be going and putting themselves out there and whatever the ability that they can. And by putting themselves out there, I mean in a kosher manner. I don't mean standing in the corner. Alright, I mean that you put yourself in the, in a, in a kosher aspect. You speak to Shatchanim. If you go to this certain kosher shidduch, uh, dating websites or whatever it is, I'm not familiar with that, so I can't say yes or no. I have really no idea. But, I, from my understanding, there are some kosher ones. So, whatever it is, you know, you do to the kosher, you know, ability, you put yourself out there, yes. Okay, next, um, how do you, okay, next question is, how do you get inspired to believe that everything is from Hashem? So, this is a very, very important, uh, you know, question. Um, and, so how do you get inspired to believe that everything is from Hashem? One aspect is to start seeing Hashem everything in your life. And then you can ask me, how do you start seeing Hashem everywhere in your life? And the answer is, is you start thanking Hashem for things. You walk outside, and you say, thank you Hashem that I'm able to breathe. Thank you, Hashem, that I'm able to walk. Thank you, Hashem, that I'm, you know, that it's a beautiful day. Even if it's raining. It's be- whatever it is, you start thanking Hashem. So all of a sudden, when you think, you start appreciating. And this, by the way, works for relationships also. You want to start, uh, you know, you know, having a good relationship, start realizing, open your eyes of what your spouse does. Thank you for cleaning up. Thank you for putting the, be- the kids to bed. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for doing that. Once you're saying thank you, you start seeing things. Once you start seeing things, all of a sudden inspiration comes and you want to become a better spouse. So sometimes you have to start in a way. And the way that I recommend to start is by thanking Hashem for things. What, and, and this is something that I always recommend. Before you go to sleep, say five things that you're thankful to Hashem for. At least that. If you can't, then at least go while you're walking in the street. You say thank you to Hashem. Whatever it is. Thank you to Hashem is... Um, Crucial, very, very important. So important that they made a song out of it. Okay, so next question. Can one lose chosim from being saved from something that is dangerous but is recognized as as okay to do? So that is a good question, um, but I don't know what you're referring to. So it depends. Like let's say someone asks me, can I go skydiving? Can I go bungee jumping? You know, like I don't know. Like some, I don't know if that's what you're referring to. But generally speaking, don't put yourself in unwanted danger. What is considered dangerous? Driving in Brooklyn is dangerous. But, you know, again, you know, walking in Brooklyn is dangerous. Uh, but, but the same one, you, um, you have to do the normal aspect of it. Okay, so the person clarified and saying, I'm referring to something like fire. So, again, I think I need more clarity on that. Uh, I hope you're not meaning to start a fire, because uh, you shouldn't. But let's say you want to start a bonfire or a fireplace, then... Uh, oh, lighting candles. Okay, here we go. So lighting candles, that's not considered that's, that's a dangerous thing, as long as um, those, those candles that you're lighting are not attached to fireworks. Uh, the, the, generally, it's, it's an okay, it's a safe uh, um, you know, aspect, it's fine. For example, if let's say you're lighting you know, Shabbat candles, you have to put it in a certain place that it's not going to cause any fire hazard. You put it on your counter. You don't put it above or under anything. You have to be very, very careful with it. Also with Hanukkah candles, all these things, you have to be very careful with it that you don't put it in a dangerous situation that it could cause damage. Um, don't go put it in a dangerous place and be like, you know, right under some dry, 
uh, curtains and be like, Hashem will save us. No, no, no. You have to do a Yishalut in that, in that aspect as well. Okay, and I believe we have, uh, that is the final, uh, the final question. Oh, no, no, no question. Not a question, a comment. Two days ago, my family and I were in a, uh, were practically in a crash. Does that use schusen? Um, so, if let's say somebody, God forbid, was in a certain scenario, can, a scenario that I must add, that they didn't put, it wasn't their fault. So, it depends. If someone, let's say, was driving recklessly, and because of that, they were in a car crash, then you could say, yeah, maybe it used up their schusen. But let's say they were driving normal, and some crazy person went and, uh, you know, drove into them or whatever was some sort of, uh, um, you know, uh, aspect that was out of their control. So that's not something that is in your control and that's not something that you are responsible, you know, for. And generally speaking, those will not come out of your merits. However, it can. Only God knows. But if you put yourself into... Um, into in, into danger, then it is uh, then it is problematic. Let's say you say that let's say you are driving in a car and the driver was negligent, but you are sitting in the back. Now everybody, so let's say the driver was doing something bad, but you are sitting in the back, you aren't doing anything wrong. So now because of the driver's negligence, now you are affected. So does that come out from your exclusive? So again, this goes into the simple, uh, you know, uh, let's call, call it the mathematic formula that if it was something that you could have done in your control then you should have. But if it's not in your control, then it's out of your control and you're not held responsible. Now, there's a lot of factors that come into it and like what happens if maybe you should have said, get off your phone and maybe you should have done this, maybe you should have done that. Only Hashem knows. At the end of the day, no one can answer this question. Only Hashem knows the bottom line. But what we need to do we have to go and do our Hishadut. More than that, we can't. And when we come into a question, we're not sure if our user schuyot, then I'll tell you one thing. That's a good, uh, it's a good uh, thing to do. Build yourself some more schusen. <laughs> do some good stuff, and this way it will solve all your questions. So you'll, you'll fill up your reservoir. It's a win-win situation. Okay, looks like that was the final question. So Chazaka Ba'oh, thank you all for joining. Until next week, Be'ezrat HaShem. Okay. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.